welcome to the Cyber Ranch podcast, recorded under the big blue skies of Texas, where one CISO explores the cybersecurity landscape with the help of friends and experts. Here's your host, Alan Alford. Howdy, y'all, and welcome to the Cyber Ranch podcast. With us today is my friend John Petrie. He's the counselor to the global CISO for NTT Group. He's had an illustrious career in cyber, and most recently he's designed the enterprise security architecture for a global conglomerate comprised of hundreds of companies doing more than $100 billion a year in business. John, thanks so much for coming on down to the ranch. Hey, thanks, Alan, for inviting me. It's great to be here, and I look forward to our conversation. First, a brief word about our sponsor. Time is the enemy of cybersecurity. Time spent identifying devices that are missing endpoint agents with known vulnerabilities that are unmanaged, that need updates. Time spent identifying cloud instances that aren't being scanned, that are misconfigured. Time spent gathering asset data. Time is the enemy of cybersecurity, until Axonius. By connecting to existing data sources, customers get a comprehensive asset inventory, understand security gaps, and automatically validate and enforce security policies. Thank you, Axonius, for sponsoring this show. I thought we'd start by asking John, tell us a little bit about how you broke into cyber and tell us a little bit about your day job today. I started in cyber, what used to be called information security, probably in the 1980s. So been around about 30 years or so. I did a lot of work in the military. I spent about 20 years in the Marines, but my career in cyber spanned special operations, U.S. Space Command and Naval Space Command, along with a couple of other side trips along the way. I retired in 1996 and began my career in the commercial market space with Bell Labs as an instructor and did some research and development and been in multiple security positions. I started my CISO career with the uh, University of Texas Health Science Center in San Antonio back in the early 2000s and been in that kind of role or similar roles ever since with Harlan Clark, a financial services organization, IBM, and now NTT. My job title today is counselor to the NTT CISO. For Western terminology, that would be deputy CISO, and I'm responsible for international business. And today, we're talking about one of my major uh, responsibility, and that's creating the enterprise security architecture plan for NTT. And I want to get a little bit into NTT for the audience who doesn't know. I used to work at NTT Data Services, which in turn was owned by NTT Data, which in turn was owned by and owned by and owned by. You're at the top. You're working for the parent NTT. How big an empire is that in terms of how many companies are in the empire right now? You know, how many hundreds of billions? You know, what's what's the revenue stream look like? What is what is the lowdown on how big NTT really is? It's one of the largest companies. I think it's number 62 on the global Fortune 500 list, just to give you a sort of benchmark note. We are about $109, $110 billion company, depending on the exchange rate. Most of our financials are done in yen. We're a Japanese-based company. We are comprised of 18 operating companies in about 180 countries globally. We have a diversified business portfolio that does a lot of things. Our core business, of course, is telecom. Under those 18 operating companies, most people don't know this. I counted them uh, just this morning in preparation of this call. We have 986 companies, individual subsidiaries, 360,000 employees, another 120,000 contractors and consultants, 
and we're traded on both the Nikkei and the U.S. exchange. So knocking on an enterprise security architecture should just be like a, you know, one-week operation and uh, clap your hands and go <laughs> home, right? Yeah, it's great. When I told some of my colleagues I was going to do this job for the next few years, they laughed. They said, you're never going to be successful. Well, I'm here to tell them that so far I'm successful. I've delivered my first portion, which was the enterprise security architecture plan, and was able to get consensus from 18 individual CISOs across those 18 operating companies and approved by what our governance body is, which is the CISO committee located in Japan. So first stage is done, a lot more to go, and we're going to talk a little bit about that now. So it's been exciting. All right. So what is an enterprise security architecture, right? Why should we employ it? And obviously, before we start with that question, one thing that I always try to tell people is an enterprise security architecture is more than just I have a security architect on my team, right? This is very much a business forward proposition. So what's what's your take on that? For NTT security, we did not have a full-blown enterprise security architecture. I mean, for all of the 986 companies. So we were starting in Greenfield, if you will. Now, some of our individual operating companies and individual companies had their own security architecture plans. And so what it really is in our view uh, from an NTT perspective is, it, is it's the North Star for harmonization and governance to support the business, in this case, business transformation and our digital transformation. And just to give you some scope, uh, we're in about year two and a half, year three of our digital transformation. The enterprise security architecture really forces the business leaders to make some decisions about how they're going to secure their businesses, what security by design, not a buzzword, but how do you really do that? And so we're creating reference architectures to help do that integration and, and, and be that North Star for the business. So it's about supporting the business, it has limited to do with security itself in the big scheme of things, but it takes all of those ideas and thoughts to uh, one point in a plan, and then we execute. I got you. And I'm with you on that one, that the, a true ESA is more about business than it is about the S. And, and, you know, the S stands for security, right? It should be an EBA, right? There's security there, obviously. Right. <laughs> but it really is about the business. It really should be. So you talked about before when we were having a conversation about this, you talked about nine principles that sort of provide the foundation. What are your nine principles? You already mentioned one of them, security by design. What's the rest? What does that outlay right. look like as you're rolling out an architecture this big? So again, this is the NTT viewpoint, and every company does it different. But uh, as you said, we had nine principles. We started out with a principle called aligned independence. What does that mean? Aligned independence means that we have to stay aligned as the 18 operating companies, but we also have to give each business unit the flexibility to do certain things differently because their business goals are going to be different. We're a diversified business. We have an energy company. We have a IT company. We have a telecom company, of course. We have a real estate company, et cetera. So all of those have different business objectives. So aligned independence as a principle tells us, here's the security controls that we have to have as our baseline minimums. And oh, by the way, here's what we have to do for your operating company to be more mature and in line or aligned with the overall business direction of the global holdings corporation. The next one is standards-based. We've got to pick a standard. We've got to understand what that standard says, and we'll talk a little bit about that, I believe. The next one is manage the risk, enforce the policy, compliance to regulation, all that stuff. 
but we have to manage that risk. And again, back to the uh, number one principle, aligned independence, we have different levels of risk tolerance within each of our companies and our operating companies. So that's a challenge in and of itself. And then we have to have platform-based architecture. We can't have an architecture that's a legacy architecture. And believe me, NTT, if they made it, we bought it and it's in our environment. But we have to we have to focus in on the digital transformation and that's supporting the platform. So our architecture has to be platform based. All right, let me let me stop you right there real quick because I want to I want to get into a little bit about digital transformation. It's a phrase that I see used uh, meaningfully and also used absolutely no meaning whatsoever. It's it can be a buzz phrase. So I always like to ask people whenever they toss that one on the table, what does that mean to you? What what is NTT's digital transformation? What are you guys specifically going through that you're having to consider these things like platform based architecture? In a sentence, it is the change in our business culture to mature our direction of our business to support new age technologies and innovation. I love the word culture in that explanation. That's brilliant. Okay. Uh, Again, just so the listeners understand, this is a Japanese business. And Japanese business has always been very quality focused, very based on the Drucker principles, right? The Drucker principles back in the 1950s. And so it's, it's very detailed, very structured, very non-agile, if you will. And mm-hmm. we recognize that. So we have to change the entire culture of the way our business uh, thinks about itself, not only ourselves, but also the market. Yep, it's a true transformation. All right, so platform-based architecture. Okay, and then we have, you know, design. We have to design for mobility. I mean, that's a pretty no-brainer. Everybody's got a phone. Everybody's got mobile devices. We have to have usability in our structure. And then we have to be able to manage that. Then we have to innovate around the core. And the core for us is considered, you know, the internal solutions first and then commercial off the shelves. We spend about uh, somewhere in the neighborhood of $8 billion on R&D every year. And so we create a lot of interesting technologies and do a lot of innovations in our own right. And so we want to try to use that first and then fill in what we can't use ourselves with other commercial off-the-shelf technologies. And then simplicity and resilience. We have to be able to recover. And we had a test a year ago. We made a a business decision globally to do 100% or almost 100% remote activities. Now, think about that when you start thinking about different cultures. Uh, Japanese go to work every day. They ride the train. They do their 16-hour day. They go home. They don't work from home. Neither does our India contingent. And so when you think about the different cultures and what that meant to make that transition, and then all the technology decisions that had to be made to support that, we learned a lot about resiliency. And if anybody uh, is interested in understanding from a Japanese perspective about resiliency, my boss has wrote a book, um, Shinichi Yokohama, which is uh, about resiliency in a corporation our size. The interesting reading. And then the last one is uh, that security architecture supports the digital transformation and the strategic plan, which we talked a little bit about. But the strategic plan is important in this case because that strategic plan is done in chunks of three years. And so we have to make sure that we select technologies that get us through those decision-making processes. And when the board changes the direction, that impacts the enterprise security architecture moving forward in some way. Could be light, could be heavy, 
depends on the decision. Yeah, there's a CISO rule that I've always heard. One of the verbal rules that floats around the community that people toss around is this idea that you never sign longer than a three-year contract with any particular tech in your tech stack, right? That three years should right. be your max because the odds are, you know, whatever, I'm going to make up an example. I'm using antivirus today and I signed three years and at the end of the three years, EDR is now available. Yeah, that is a true sizzleism. I think that's probably a subject for another type of podcast, but at the size of our company and the scope, and the volumes that we consume, we have a lot of power in the marketplace when we do negotiations. So yeah. much more than just that, there's a lot of other issues that we take into account. I agree, never do technology too far in advance. I'm with you there. So the three-year plan, I like that the business is operating in three-year cycles. It, it, you know, if you combine that with the CISOism, you, know, you, you get in theory a, a collusion of three-year thinking there which is much better than one-year thinking for sure. And and honestly, five-year thinking, I think in our world, you can't predict five years out what's going on in technology. I think three years really is the sweet spot. That's correct. And let's not forget, enterprise security architecture is not just about technology, as we talked yeah. about. It's about the business. But it's also about all the supporting processes, HR, organizational structure, finance. I mean, all those things have to be taken into account. And I, I think we've done a good job in planning for those, but as we'll discuss, the reference architectures that we're designing are very targeted right now on very specific things like cloud, for example. Yep. For us, moving all of our stuff, all of our workloads to clouds is very critical for us. And we have to make a lot of right decisions. And there's other opportunities within that discussion, but we are really, really focused on What's going to support the business? And right now, security, at least in our executive team and our board of directors, is, is obviously one of the most important functions that exists right now as we move forward, given the geopolitical situation yeah. of companies in Japan. Yep. So you're you're dealing with a mishmash of cultures. You're dealing with a mishmash of geocentric, uh, you know, areas and all that as well. You're dealing with a mishmash of industries. You you mentioned you know real estate and everything else going on. You know finance and and, and here's some mobile and here's some carrier and here's some whatever it might be. You mentioned that you've got a strong R and D effort, which means there's also an R and D effort going on in that business empire. With all that mix. I would imagine you can't find a one-size-fits-all solution in terms of your frameworks for your enterprise security architecture. So I'm guessing you went with a mix and match there. What's, what's that about? So one of the things that we discovered early on in our discussion, and this is about a year and a few months ago, when we were trying to determine what methodology, what structure we were going to, to go with, what framework. Uh, of course, you know, everybody, I think almost everybody starts out with SAPSA or some form of that structure. We also looked at the open ESA process and, and solution framework, and we also looked at the NIST framework as well. But what we found when we looked at all of those, uh, those primary three, is that no one framework fits what we needed completely. But there was pieces in all of them that worked for us to support our North Star sort of outlook, you know, our, our expectation that security was going to drive a lot of business decisions. And so we pulled out individual portions of that, of each of those, and created our own NTT ESA framework. And it's about, in, as documents go, you know, this document is about 120 pages plus long, trying to get everybody on the same page. And as you could probably imagine, as the listeners can imagine, getting two or three CISOs 
agreeing to the same thing is difficult, let alone 18. And then plus all the IT folks that support it. And then, of course, you've got your business folks that you have to get in, in the agreement. And so it was very difficult. So I'm very happy to uh, have been able to do that to get the plan out. Now the hard part begins. And that's implementation of that structure that we've created because it's never been done before. Yeah, that's. I was going to say just just the envisioning alone and the buy-in on the vision alone. You you mentioned eighteen CISOs, and my first thought was, and all eighteen of them had to go back to their shop <laughs> and sell it to their business leaders, and sell it to right. their peers, and sell it to their partners in the business. And digital transformation. Not every one of those entities is at the same level or the same cycle or the same phase. And here's this architecture coming along and trying to say, I'm the all-encompassing, and you guys will work with me. That's that's a that's right. daunting task in salesmanship alone. And it to is. your point, execution, holy cow, you guys have got a journey yeah. ahead of you. So how long did it take from, hey, we have a problem to, hey, we've gotten buy-in on the architecture and the vision? So we identified the problem about 18 months ago as a concern in a, in a business issue. We brought it to the executive team at the holdings level. They agreed that that was a problem. We presented to the CSO committee, our governance body. They agreed uh, that that was an issue and we needed to drive towards it. We got funding approval shortly thereafter, and then we briefed the board. The board agreed, and we are moving forward. So from, from start to finish, from conception that we identified, this is a business issue that has to be addressed, is about 18 months. The plan itself took just a little shy of a year to, to actually create and obviously get socialized, get buy-in, you know, agreements from all the principal stakeholders, right? And it's not just security. People in our business just think they're the center of the world. That is absolutely false. And, and to the listeners that are listening, you have to get business buying. You have to have that relationship. In some cases, people call that a seat at the table. I call that just a relationship with the businesses. You have to have that relationship. Full, full agreement. It, it's it's astounding to me still this far along in, in, in the CISO journey. And I mean, Steve Katz got his first CISO gig how far back now? And here oh, we all are. Oh, that's a long time ago. Right? And here we all are now still, some some of us, you know, feeling like you said, like we're the center of the universe, like security is this this edict that we must all obey. It is the centralized law that drives all. And, and then the next level, I think, of maturity, you sort of get into this realm of, hey, I recognize and respect that there's other business drivers and needs, and I'll go to the business and talk to the business. And for me, that final level of maturity is when you finally get to a point where security is one of the business voices in the room, and all the business agrees that we're all the business together, right? In other words, that's right. evolving it to that point where it's, big, it's bigger than saying a seat at the table. That's not the right way. To your point, that's not yeah, the right yeah. way to phrase it. The, the, the right way to pull it off is here we all are together. We're all here to succeed as a business. We all have needs and drivers. We all have aspects that we're specialized in. Mine happens to be security. Let's sit down and talk. Right. It's interesting through this process, one of the things that occurred is, is that uh, the NTT CISO, who's my boss, was actually elevated to this process to be at the table with the other key C-level people, the CTO, mm -hmm. the CFO. So that was um, that was a move by the CEO uh, to do exactly what you just said. We're all in this together. Everybody that's in the room, let's discuss about the business. Bring your uh, subject matter expert capability to the discussion, but it's a decision that has to be made as business leaders jointly. And so that's important for people to understand as they move 
up from, you know, maybe they're starting out as a as an IT guy in our field or a security analyst. As you're moving up that chain and you desire to get to this level, those are some things that you've got to think think about, those relationships, that communication. That's fantastic. And that's great to hear that the CEO made that move. That's so critical. Well, it sends a message to not only the staff, but to the market, it's, right? It sends a message to it's everyone. important for us to address. Yep. Security right. has a big seat at the big boys table, just like all the other big players, CFO and CISO yep. sitting here together, solving problems together jointly. That's it's, it's, it's the only way in my mind to truly succeed at this scale and at this magnitude if you got this daunting of a task, 18 months just to get the architecture on the table, you know, now you got a couple of years to execute. You need that backing. You need yeah. absolutely the decision that was made for you there. I think our plan right now, our goal is that we get this done in two years yep. from uh, April 1, which is the beginning of our fiscal year. That's right. Japanese fiscal so, year starts in April. Yeah. We're, we're planning on, on two years to get this intimate plan. Interesting enough, we're not focused necessarily on technology, and I want to come back to that for a second. We're focused on governance and training right now. Sure. Interestingly enough, you've got a you've got a, as you might think about how large we really are from a business perspective. Now think about the levels of maturity in security or even in process execution from a business level. The levels of maturity are all over the map. Sure. Now you've got to bring everybody up to a minimum level so that you can start doing the actual implementation. So we've got a lot of training in the horizon for us for the short term. Sure you do. And then you, you tabled the technology conversation. There's there's a parallel there as well, I'm sure. With, and and right. you said it was 986. 986 companies in the empire, some of these large, some of these small. You're going to have guys that not only need the training desperately, need the tech stack desperately, need all of it desperately. And Which brings us back to the technology piece. We began concurrently... Uh, with the planning process for the ESA, a harmonization project. And what our goal there is, first of all, understand what the bread box looks like. What's in it, right? Right. How many technologies do we have? And then let's start looking at how we can standardize those technologies for the best uh, outcome for the entire business. Now, that's a difficult uh, challenge there. The good news is, is that I got one very specific direction from our CEO, and this was direct to me, and that is, don't make us any less secure than we already are today. So that's very useful, especially when he's telling all the other CEOs that that's where we're going. Right. Because now I have the ability to make adjustments in our technology. Now, we still have to socialize. We still have to understand what we have, but there's going to be certain technologies that we're going to standard on as an entire corporation. And there'll be other technologies that are unique to a specific business. That's where the aligned independence comes in again. Right, right. Okay, so you're going to have a, a, you know, like a, a stack of three to five things that everyone must have unless a certain size maybe gets a different version of it or... Well, we've worked that out too because I think we've we've ran into a couple of issues where we have a small, a small company that doesn't have the budget to, say, buy a specific technology and what we've worked out because we can negotiate our price because of our size, we are allowing those smaller companies to get with one of the big operating companies and leverage their contracts to get that technology at a much lower cost. Nice. So even the little guys are getting to play in the in the big boy pool with the tech stack. Absolutely. That's fantastic. Absolutely. So now you have a baseline for everybody. And then to your point, unique industries, unique businesses might need something on top of that baseline. But you've got a baseline you can truly roll out big and small. 
That's right. That's exactly the the sort of expectation at this point. That's fantastic. Um, yeah. All right. So we talked a little bit before, too, about the NIST cybersecurity framework. Everyone knows identify, protect, detect, respond, recover, the, the good old NIST framework, CSF. We've been talking at some very high levels and very broad strokes and very uh, architecture-oriented. How is everything you're doing aligning with or leveraging NIST CSF? So we made a, a fundamental strategic business decision that we were going to move away from ISO 27001 series mm-hmm. and move to NIST. And, and Japan itself as a country has what's called a JNIST. It's a Japanese version of NIST. And so Germany has a German version of NIST. And so we decided based on the NIST cybersecurity framework, that that's what we were going to use moving forward. Now we have one you know, outcome of that that's concerning. And that is from a contract space to our clients, the ISO model provides us a certification capability that we can provide as an attestation to our clients. NIST doesn't have that yet. And so we've had to maintain both moving forward. But to answer your specific question, we focused in on the identify and the protect portions of the CSF first as we're building the architecture because those walk hand in hand. And then the detect piece, I think we've got a pretty good handle on detect, but we want to be more proactive. And as a telecom company, we have the capability, and certainly as an R&D company, we have the capability to move from a a defensive position to more proactive, I won't say offensive operation perspective, but we want to be able to predict using our AI technologies as well as some of our machine learning that already exists today. And so we're kind of doing the detect thing in a little bit different way. And then of course, respond and recover are all part of our resiliency plan. All that works into place. And so those are actual things that are occurring at the same time we're executing the enterprise security architecture plan itself. Wow. So this is a larger scale version of a model I've got that I always toy with. And I've thrown out on a couple of shows with a couple of guests for a couple of different reasons that's come up. But basically this idea that from a tech stack perspective only, yeah, I have to disclaim that as tech stack only, identify protect is your early stage, but eventually you mature to the point of detect, respond, recover, feeding identify protect based on, you know, like things like breach attack simulation, purple teaming. And in your case, you're talking about leveraging your own R&D efforts and and your own telecom infrastructure. And you've, right. you've got, you're, you're doing that model, but at a much larger scale. It's that same phenomenon. Much larger fundamentally. scale. And, you know, what you're talking about is that continuous improvement loop, right? You have to have that response back in place so you can drive other technologies or other innovations throughout the company. So we have a we have a continuous improvement loop that's designed into the, at least in the ESA plan. Now it's going to be how do we execute that? What's going to be the governance around that? So that's important to understand that you have to have that improvement loop. And if you think you're going to create an ESA and put it on the shelf and forget about it, it doesn't work that way. Right? ESA is a living document. It's like an operating plan at the strategic level. It's one of those things that are on the shelf that has to be reviewed every couple of months in some cases so that we make sure that we stay, keep it fresh, that it's agile, et cetera. So one key takeaway, an ESA is not a book on the shelf. I love it. I love it. Well, John Petrie, Counsel to the CISO at NTT. I sure appreciate you coming on down to the Cyber Ranch. Thank you. Thank you, listeners. Y'all be good now. 